This episode of the 42 Rugby Weekly is brought to you by Dundeal Motors, Ireland's largest car website. Find your next premium car from one of our trusted dealerships. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moe! Rugby, Rugby Weekly. first pass, Hello, it's Rugby Weekly, it's St. Patrick's Day and we hope it's Grand Slam weekend for Ireland. Tomorrow Andy Farrell's side take on England at Lansdowne Road looking to become only the fourth Ireland team ever to win a Grand Slam and the first to win one in Dublin. Kieran Kennedy here and I'm joined of course by the 42's Murray Kinsley to look ahead to all the action on what we hope will be a pretty special weekend for Irish rugby. How are you Murray? Is Grand Slam fever in the air yet? Yeah, I'm feverish here. I don't think it could be anything else with such a massive game ahead in Dublin as well tomorrow it's it's thrilling really I can't wait for the next 24 hours to just pass and we get stuck in there's been loads of chat some great chat from Andy Farrell I must say I was really impressed with his calm demeanour yesterday virtually everything he said had a bit of substance and you got a sense of the mood he's kind of setting for his players I went across to England's presser then and uh, typical Steve Borthwick it was a load of waffle really he doesn't answer any questions he steers Steers the chat in bizarre directions, really, at times. Um, and it was a, a real contrast. I know we shouldn't judge on press conference performances, but it just it was a contrast between the two camps. And Ireland, listen, they're massive favourites for this. So we've got a lot to be excited about, a lot to chat through here. Um, and happy St. Patrick's Day to you, I should say. Yeah, I feel actually I've let the side down. I see you've got a bit of green on. I don't, but sure. <laughs> Not by, know, it, not by design. <laughs> that's a work on for next year for me. Look, the Ireland team was announced on Thursday and I don't think anyone will have been too surprised by Andy Farrell's selection. The headline news, I suppose, is that Dan Sheen and Caelan Doris are both fit to start, which is great. And the two injury-enforced changes see Robbie Henshaw come in for Gary Ringrose and Ryan Baird take Ian Henderson's spot in the second row. With the final change, Jemison Gibson-Park coming in ahead of Conor Murray. Murray, given all the injuries Ireland have had to contend with, not a bad looking team it's not at all it's a really strong 23 and even in the aftermath of the Scotland game with the doubt around Sheehan and Doris at that stage even at that stage you thought if those guys don't make it it's going to be a big blow but Ireland can cope the the squad depth has been really impressive I don't know if depth is the right word it's it's the empowerment of players coming into position that's been so impressive and guys who've come in when there's been injuries haven't felt like second or third choices even if they realistically are that they're the first choice that week they're the first choice to come off the bench and impact the game and all that language and mentality around it has been really good from Ireland and as you say the guys coming in are exciting Robbie Henshaw he has played 13 at the highest level many times 18 caps there for for Ireland 18 starts there for Ireland I should say and moved there in another couple of games he's played there for the Lions he looked really sharp in the session I saw, the open session last week or the week before last. He just so light in his feet, really energetic. He's buzzing, obviously, to make an impact. His first start since November and the frustration he had in that campaign. Himself and Bundyaki are a proven combination. So while they are going to miss Gary Ringrose, we know how important he is defensively. And also in terms of his ability as an organiser now in attack and he, he, he shuffles people around the pitch and he calls plays really well. But Henshaw can can step into that role um, with impact, I think, with, with energy as well. Ryan Baird, I'm really excited to see him get a start. His third test start, it's in the second row. We know just how much of a freak athlete he is, but everything that the coaches are talking about now is is that he's mature, 
He's diligent. He's consistent now in, in everything he does every single day in camp. He's worked really hard with Paul O'Connell around his line-out breakdown stuff. And so it hasn't even been his... Like, he hasn't had one of those big surges in, in the last couple of games, but he's come on. He's he's thrown in those tip passes, the sweep passes. He's done all the the nuts and bolts stuff really well, stole a line out against the Italians. So I'm excited to see him unleash. That's what it feels like. It feels like here's the moment he's been waiting for for the last few years and, and now he kicks on. I think the Gibson Park selection is is really sensible. We saw the creativity and pace he added off the bench in Scotland. It showed why he was number one for the last two years and to get that injection into the team. With Murray back in that role, he's performed really well off the bench. It gives you a really strong 23, I think. Yeah, I, I think the Henshaw one is particularly interesting because it's also another chance to see a new a, a new combination in this Six Nations at least. And he's kind of coming in under the radar, but it's not that long since Henshaw was probably the form player in Ireland. And given we've hardly seen him play any rugby this year, it's just good to see him back in the thick of things again because he can be such an impactful player. Mm. Player of the line series in 2021 as well and one of the best in the world at that stage. And he's had his frustrations but there's no doubt about about what he can do and, and what he can add and and you also even look at the Irish bench and Herring coming back in is so proven Treadwell is the kind of dynamic athlete that Farrell likes you know a guy who's not been first choice in Ulster at times behind Henderson and Alan O'Connor but he's the profile of player that that Farrell likes he did really well in the New Zealand tour as well which isn't that long ago I think while Stuart McCluskey must feel desperately unlucky to miss out on the 23, there's a lot of excitement for Jimmy O'Brien, who would have been frustrated at other stages not to be involved. He's a class act. He's a really he's a really good uh, example of an Ireland back, I think, now, because he could play anywhere across the back line. It doesn't really matter what number's on his jersey because he flits in and out of different roles from second to second, really, in games. The likes of Hansen do that. Lowe does it. The centres do it now, and... And he fits in with what Ireland are doing. So if there's a reshuffle in the back line, he can slot in anywhere, really. And, and there's got to be a lot of confidence in, in that 23. Yeah, you mentioned being impressed by Andy Farrell's words um, yesterday. I think that's actually worth kind of talking about for a bit because he's, I think Farrell, he's one of those head coaches where even from the media point of view, you feel like what you see is is what you get and that the messages he's sending out in his press conferences probably isn't too dissimilar to what he's saying in the dressing room. And like we've both been out in Abbottstown at the IRFU's High Performance Centre a little bit this week. And the sense all week is that the team just seem to be in a really good place and are just mentally in the in the right headspace going into what Peter O'Mahony even described as the biggest test game of his career. They just seem to be a squad that now is just mentally so focused on on the task at hand. Well, sport can make fools of all of us at, at times. and There's always that possibility, but all... As you say, all the signs, all the logic, everything we've seen and heard and heard from behind the scenes suggests Ireland are in, are in perfect mental state for this game. And he gave glimpses into the mentality. Actually, he was quite forthright in talking about how he wants Ireland to be in this game. He said that desperation is an illness. He doesn't want Ireland scrabbling around. He wants them calm and clear-headed. He obviously wants aggression. He wants a touch of emotion. But he spoke about 2007 in Croke Park, a game he was playing for England in when England got hammered 43-13. And he wants Ireland to kind of summon that spirit because he pointed out that that was a day when Ireland had to win. They absolutely had to win given the history, the occasion, Croke Park opening its doors. You remember the emotion before the game, but 
they stayed truly on task and they attacked the game. It's a phrase he regularly uses. He wants to see players attack the game. Even he mentioned it with Gibson Park. He's going to come in and attack the game. That's the mentality he wants. You have that touch of emotion, but you have a balance there. You don't spill over. And and that's probably the only danger for Ireland mentally. Like, there's so much motivation. A Grand Slam in Dublin alone is... is you don't need to say much more than that. Johnny Sexton's last Six Nations game. Josh van der Fleer winning 50 caps and, and Farrell's made a big deal of those milestones, as we know. And and they had a bit of a, a, a kind of ceremony around that last night. So there's there's plenty there. And the only danger is Ireland kind of spilling over with their enthusiasm and their their desire to, to make an impact. So they'll have worked hard with Gary Keegan again on, on being really present and moment-focused in that opening 5, 10, 15 minutes because... If they if they nail that, we know that Ireland can can build a lead and that England will really struggle to come back from it. We saw what happened when England, when France started stretching out that scoreline last weekend. England just became desperate, and yeah, it does feel like Ireland are in a, a great mental place. And there's not as much of that kind of typical Irish self doubt this week, is there? Like everyone's kind of just been honest, thinking Ireland are on a different level to England right now, and they really should wrap up this Grand Slam now. Yeah, and just even on that, you wrote a PDS. Yeah, you wrote a piece yesterday. Sorry about the pessimism among the English press pack around England's chances tomorrow. I know this is the third <laughs> podcast this week now where you've previewed this game in some shape or form. So I don't think we need to spend too much time on where England stand heading into the game. But you might just give a little background on how their preparation was thrown a little bit off course yesterday. It was kind of a weird evening, to be honest. Yeah, sped over from the Aviva Stadium to try and get there for for kickoff for the English presser. They were delayed landing in by about an hour. Um, so obviously the jokes were around the Irish Aviation Authority doing their bit for for Ireland. But Stephen Bor- Steve Borthwick was thrown in a taxi with Jamie George and Lewis Ludlam, and they were sped over to to get in. Steve Borthwick begins his press conferences with this kind of address. Uh, it was real strange. I thought it was actually, I honestly thought it was a bit of a joke and I thought everyone's going to start laughing, but they didn't. He said, welcome to the final pre-match press conference of the 2023 Six Nations. I'd like to apologise for us being late and setting back your evenings. Um, it was just, honestly, it was a real strange kind of moment. And then he proceeded to answer no one's questions. He just, he just, he listens to your question and he just steers it away completely. And, and some of them are innocuous questions. It's very frustrating for for journalists, but that's his strategy, and fair enough. That's how he handles the media. That's absolutely grand. Uh, no one's going to be crying for the for the journos. But yeah, it, the the hour long interlude gave me a chance to to chat to some of the English journalists, and indeed most of them, and, and just get their their sense on this. And not a single one has any belief that England are going to even tr- uh, you know put up a good fight of spoiling the party. They're all doom and gloom at the moment, and that's probably been coming for a few years now. Where England, they just haven't been at that top table and that that um, elite bracket of teams and, and that was another jarring bit of it for me is that you know England are talking about a rebuild and yes obviously they have to do that but I think it's strange to me and it's jarring to me that England aren't trying to win the Six Nations every single time and aren't open about that and putting that pressure on themselves you look at the resource they have and you look at how they hype their own their their own league the premiership and, and state it as being this incredible competition but yet they're happy to kind of take the underdog status. Um, and that's a reality where they are, but I just find that mentality from English rugby real jarring. Obviously, Borthwick earlier in this championship said England aren't good at anything, you know. He said they're starting from that point, and that's a really tricky spot to 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 frame it for your own players. Like, that's now what they see themselves as, and 
Um, I think the probably performance against France probably matched up with that. So, yeah, they're they're talking about being hurt and uh, using that in the space of a week to to turn things around. And there is a threat there. I watched the game back during the week there, the England France game, and there was moments where it was kind of freakish, like the bounce for Flamont's second try is really fortunate for France. There's a couple of decisions, big ones that go against England, even in the left-hand corner early in the game, Francois Crowe strips a ball on the ground after a maul and it's blatant, blatant penalty, but it's missed and England don't get a chance to respond on the scoreboard. So little moments like that probably helped the scoreline be that that wide, the margin that wide, but at the same time, England weren't, they weren't at the races and, and they put their hands up in, in that way. Hmm. I remember doing a pod with you near the start of the Six Nations and saying I had no idea how England's team would look come the end of it. Now, I know it's not 2019, but when I see Manu Tuolagi's name on an England team sheet, this still a little alarm bell that rings in the back of my mind somewhere. Does his inclusion tell us a lot about how England are going to approach this game tomorrow? It's the most like for like for Ollie Lawrence, in fairness, and he's been good in this championship and his directness has added at times to their attack being more threatening so I think it makes total sense in that regard he does have a great kind of past history against Ireland he's been that kind of kryptonite figure at times and got them over the gain line and and yeah they're gonna have to hope that he is somehow back towards near his best he hasn't had form he's obviously just off a suspension so he's not got game rhythm either and there's kind of a burden on his shoulders so I don't think Ireland will over-focus on him as they maybe have done in the past and allowed it to kind of be a thing in their head. They'll try and tackle him when he has the ball. They'll try and they'll try and tackle him with big shots and, and make an impact on him, of course. But um, I don't think it really changes too much around what, what they would have expected from Lawrence anyway. I think it's a good decision from England to bring Farrell back in. They missed him in the opening half and I know it wasn't about the back line really, but his attitude is really important to them. And then Henry Arundel is really exciting on the left wing. Finally, he gets a, a chance. Hopefully, he touches the ball more than than once as he has in his brief appearances so far because if he gets the ball with a little bit of space, he'll score a try. He's an absolute um, phenomenon, really, in terms of what he can do with his power balance, his footwork, and his acceleration. So it would be good for England if they can find chances to get him into the game and get him into the game early. He's a really confident young man as well. He's only 20, but he wants an occasion like this. So uh, it's exciting for, for England fans to see him get his, his shot. The 42 Rugby Weekly is sponsored by Dundee Motors. Whether it's luxury cars, seven-seaters for a growing family or making the switch to electric, find everything you need at dundeal.ie. The first game tomorrow is Scotland against Italy in Murrayfield. I, I think we all felt the Wales game in Rome last weekend was Italy's big chance to bag a win. But given how deflating the manner of the loss to Ireland will have been, is there an opportunity for Italy in Edinburgh tomorrow? There is, yeah. I, I think even if Scotland had won, there would be because Italy have been competitive in, in every game. We we broke it down on Monday just how much regret they're going to have around. I know there was frustration with the match officials, but they created more than enough to win that game again. And that that's kind of been the story in all the games. They've been in position, maybe barring the England one where they just let it get away and get out and f- the English get out in front of them. Um, it, it wasn't quite as competitive, but they had a bit of a second half resurgence. They've been competitive, and I think they will be again here. Scotland have lost Finn Russell, they've lost Stuart Hogg, so key guys missing there. And I think you are right. There'll be a deflation there and that frustration of missing a big opportunity. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to see Italy right in the hunt. And, and who knows, maybe this is the one. 
after the disappointment at home against Wales where they, they do get over the line. Mm. Um, with Russell and Hog out, Healy, ben Healy is named on the Scotland bench for a potential Six Nations debut. Murray, I suppose we didn't actually know if we'd see Healy in a Scotland shirt in this Six Nations. So while a lot of people were disappointed to see him slip out of the system here, it's just nice to see him climb that ladder with Scotland quickly and hopefully get some minutes in Murrayfield tomorrow. I'm wondering, did anyone actually end up doing their feature pieces that they had to put on the back burner and can now unleash on us all tomorrow morning? I wait to see. Uh, it's brilliant for him because it's obviously been excellent for him being involved in a, a test environment and being in camp, but he's such an ambitious young man that he would have wanted this opportunity to show that he can do it at test level and, and maybe he'll come off the bench. He'll hope for a good stint. Blair Kinghorn is the one who starts at 10. It would be interesting to see Healy at 10 and, and Kinghorn at 15, I think, but understandably he'll he'll debut off the bench and he's got he's got the goods to to be a really key part of that Scotland squad, I think. Obviously, Russell is outstanding when he's at his best and has kind of locked down that 10 shirt again, but Healy has a different skill set. He's a good organiser. He's a brilliant kicker. He is able to... And, and it's different in test level, but he's able to be composed in, in pressure moments. And I think that will translate well, actually, into test rugby and, and being a good test player. Those attributes are really key. It's great being able to offload and sidestep and all that stuff, but sometimes the international environment is just about being a really um, error-free and solid and consistent player and and he's that as well as pushing his game and developing his his passing he's excellent at those bridge passes on the edge over the the last defender and he's he's looked comfortable in in Munster's new shape as well so I think it's really exciting for Munster fans to see one of their own albeit one who's leaving at the end of the season getting a shot in international rugby it is a bit of a unique scenario isn't it and um, yeah best of luck to him on a, on a big occasion France v Wales is the second game of tomorrow. France go into it four points behind Ireland in the Six Nations table. At home to Wales side that have really struggled. It, it's a real chance for France to put a bit of pressure on Ireland before the evening kick-off in Dublin. It, it could just add that little bit extra pressure in the back of Ireland players' minds. For sure, and that's that's their target now, is go get a bonus point win and absolutely add to any stress that Ireland might have or... It could be perceived that they have and you wouldn't back against France doing that given what we saw last weekend when they were the most energetic we've seen in the championship. They were the freshest we've seen in the championship, the most clinical as well. And England did give them a lot of prime opportunities for a French side because, you know, turning ball over when your defence is not organised on transition is just asking to concede against the French and they willingly took it. But all their forwards were kind of at a peak in this championship. The back row was really outstanding. The likes of Cyril Boy look back to their best as well. And and DuPont, as the game wore on, having made a few errors early on in the in the match, just moved to a different dimension, really, with what he delivered. It was stunning to see. And yeah, they'll finish, I can only imagine, with a really strong, convincing performance. And then regardless of what happens in, in Ireland, they've they've done their best to recover from that defeat in Dublin. They've teed themselves up nicely for a big summer and on into a big World Cup, which has always been the goal. There's clearly been major dejection on the back of that match in, in Dublin. They would have loved another Grand Slam to, to go into their home World Cup, but that is the big focus. The Welsh, meanwhile, yeah, he's rejigged his team again. He's gone back to the experience. It's been really chopping and changing from him, hasn't it? And maybe he's his eyes just completely on the World Cup as well, but it's hard to see how they can produce something here. The disarray continues. They're still We're still reading stories about their contracting situation and all of that. And you just... You cannot perform at the 
at the peak level you want to when that stuff's going on in the background. There is, of course, another Grand Slam on the line on Sunday with the Ireland under-20s taking on England in Cork. We don't have the Ireland team at the time of recording, but I think anyone who's watched them over the course of this campaign would fancy them to get over the line on Sunday in what is shaped up to be a really special occasion at, at Musgrave Park. Murray, this team have just been so much fun to watch. They really have. They play a really similar brand of rugby to the senior team and you can see how these young guys actually have been brought up understanding attacking shape and the little details around it they're some of them are almost more comfortable in the the little pods of forwards where they link out the back to to one of their playmakers than some of the Irish senior players were at the start of this journey now that's changed obviously but there's great similarities between the side and it's lovely to have that joined up approach through the whole system and the success of this side regardless of what happens on Sunday they're a really successful side is another illustration of why Ireland are doing well under Andy Farrell and he deserves all the credit and the players do as well for what they're doing but the the system that's sending players into that environment now is really finely tuned in, in fairness to David Noose 4 and everyone in the IRFU who've worked on that but also in fairness to all the grassroots coaches all the coaches in those incredible schools now where they have massive budgets nearing you know a million euros a, a season some of them and are able to produce players who are just ready-made for for test rugby. There's a couple of guys in that 20 team you could even throw up into the senior squad, I think, now or within the next year, and they'll they'll make an impact. So it is a really exciting place to be, and it will be unbelievably fitting for this weekend to be capped off down in Cork with that win. Obviously, Johnny Sexton's brother Mark is involved as well, so there's that family strand to it. Richie Murphy has done a really good job in charge of that 20s team, having come across from the senior coaching setup. So again, there's that synergy and that relationship as well so yeah it's teed up for a a beautiful weekend of of Irish rugby and and here's hoping they can get across the line great stuff I I believe your St Patrick's Day plans involve an afternoon with Mike Cat later today yeah not as exciting as some people listen to this I'm imagining but um going across the view and see what the last bit of crack is for the week he obviously has had some Grand Sam experiences he knows the English setup well and I'm sure he'll have a, a bit of chat for us but uh to everyone else who's getting out and about and enjoying the day, I hope you have a very good one. Mm, hopefully Cat isn't explaining any more last-minute injuries. I think we've had enough of them this year. <laughs> Murray, thanks as always. We'll, we'll catch you tomorrow. Um, Murray will be recording a post-match podcast with Gavin Casey straight after the final whistle tomorrow. And the lads will then be back on Monday with Bernard Jackman for what we hope will be a Grand Slam special. It's members.the42.ie to get access to those if you are not already signed up. But that is us for today. Enjoy your bank holiday weekend and enjoy all the rugby. We'll catch you soon. This episode of the 42 Rugby Weekly is brought to you by Dundee Motors, Ireland's largest car website. Find your next premium car from one of our trusted dealerships. Driver's got names to fill two double barrels. He spits out, breaks out, only smokes carols. And he's refreshing the world in mind, body and spirit Mind, body and spirit You better hear it, I fear it Oh, that's the spirit Saying sister, sister, how I miss you, miss you Let's go wrist to wrist And take your skin off on my whisper If you're a rock star, porn star, superstar Doesn't matter what you are Get yourself a good car, get out of here Yeah. But 
the boys in the better land. You're always talking about the boys in the better land. The boys in the better land. But the boys in the better land. You're always talking about the boys in the better land. The boys in the better land. Names to fill two double barrels. He spits out, breaks out, only smokes carols. And he's refreshing the world in mind, body, and spirit. Mind, body, and spirit. You better hear it, I fear it. Ah, that's just spirit. Saying this, the sister, how I missed you, missed you. Let's go wrist to wrist and take the skin off of a blister. If you're a rock star, porn star, superstar, doesn't matter what you add, get yourself a good car, get out of here. Yeah. Put the boys in the better land. You're always talking about the boys in the better land. The boys in the better land. Put the boys in the better land. You're always talking about those boys in the better land. The boys in a better life